0: Welcome to Don't You Lie to Me. <laughs> okay, let's go. Don't you lie to me. I'm going to have another drink. Don't you lie to me. Explain that to the kids. Don't you lie to me. Okay, let's hear that story. Let's start interviewing. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Don't You Lie to Me. I'm your host, Jeff Bell, along with our producer, Warren Hicks. With this podcast, we're exploring the visual art scene in North Carolina by bringing you interviews with artists and arts professionals throughout the state. We also want to highlight some current exhibitions that we think you should check out. In today's episode, we're honored to talk with painter and arts educator Beverly McKeever. Beverly is an award-winning artist with great success on the national arts scene, including having one of her portraits exhibited in the National Portrait Gallery. We're going to talk to her about that and much more. You can check out Beverly's work during or after the interview on her website, beverlymckeeverart.com. You can also find examples of her work on our website, Don'tYouLieToMe.com. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Our Twitter feed is at DYLTMNC. Previously on Don't You Lie to Me. Have we started recording, Mark?
1: I have to be an artist. I'm sorry. I'm going to be poor. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry.
0: And. uh...
1: I'm horrible.
0: <laughs> so I, I it's it's not ni- not ni- ni- maybe Oh mm. at some point I was talking to Tumbleweed and I asked him where Cowboy Bob
2: was. <laughs> I thought it was dickweed. Um I mean he's an <laughs> asshole, but most people are when you get down to it.
1: They started laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Am I getting paid for this? <clears throat>
0: <laughs> uh he's the something at the whereabouts.
2: Uh
1: no.
0: No. No. Oh, you got your facts wrong.
1: I think you made that up a little bit. Eventually, the hostages were on the moon. Wow. Sorry, let me back up. I was probably just going to start peeing my pants or something.
0: Mm-hmm. All right.
1: It is, but less less charming and
0: more shit. Did you, were you... Well, I was a country music singer, and I was in a graffiti gang. That's when I started skateboarding. Hmm. The, the I don't even know where, I don't know how to say it. und Unduey. <laughs> damn it, Warren. <laughs> oh, damn it, Warren. Yeah. All right. So today we're talking to Beverly McKeever. We're going to run through a variety of things. Sometimes we do this in a, in a chronological way, and sometimes it's, it's not. I want to start from right now and maybe jump all around. We know that you are in the middle of moving. You currently live in Durham. Uh, I believe. And you're going to move to Greensboro to be with your father. What, what has that transition been like?
1: Nightmare. (laughs) Um, Well, moving always sucks. I mean, it's a lot of work. And my, um, my cousin Sharon, who um, was like a sister to me, she died this past summer Mm -hmm. uh, about six months ago of, uh, you know, she had diabetes And I just thought, oh, my God, you know, I wish that I had been able to spend more time with her. And even though I saw her on a regular basis, I was like, you know, I had just bought this grill and I was going to take it up there and, you know, barbecue with her and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And I just didn't get the opportunity to do that. Um, My father is 90 years old and my sister Renee lives there. And so does my sister, Ronnie. Uh, And I was like, you know. Family's really important, and I don't have a lot of family members, and, you know, I did not grow up with my father. Mm -hmm. Um, I found out who he was when I was 17 years old, and we didn't really have a relationship because my mother was sort of mad at him because she wasn't married to him, and she wanted him to save her from a bad marriage, and if you met my father... You would know that he's just not capable of that. You know, I can't imagine him saving anyone, really. So um, it was sort of a bad dream on my mother's part. Mm. But um, anyway, I didn't know him, and I just started getting to know him in the last, you know, five years.
0: That's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, not often do you get a second chance uh, for both of us to— get to know each other, so that's pretty thrilling for me, and, you know, he's been a subject in my work, I've been sure. painting him right. uh, quite a bit, and so now I just decided that, uh, you know, he's 90, he's in good health, except for when he eats really a lot of soul food, he gets indigestion like anybody over 50.
0: Yeah, but <laughs> sometimes you got to. I mean...
1: I know, and then he rushes to the hospital to get what they call a GI cocktail. Mm. You talk about getting
0: to know him mm. when when you're making a painting of someone like that. Are you? In, are you? Do you talk to them during that time, or is it kind of a quiet situation? I mean, I, I wonder if you, if in some way you get to know someone in maybe a different way through that process.
1: I do get to know them a different way through the process, and I generally paint from photographs, so mm. my subjects aren't live, and that's how it's been with my father. I go to Greensboro, I visit him, I take him some soul food, and uh, and then I just, you know, snap some photographs of him on my cell phone. Mm-hmm. But this is going to be a little bit more intimate. Sure. Uh, Actually seeing him, you know, sleep and wake up and, you know, eat and all kinds of things, which I can't even imagine. Um, You know, I'm going to get to know him on a really, really different level. Sure. So, and this could be good or bad. (laughs) Not (laughs) sure yet.
0: (laughs) Well, maybe everything can be one or the other but you have to give it a shot if you feel like that's what you got to do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so are you going to commute every day? How many days a week do you normally teach? Duke? I
1: teach uh, teach two days a week. So I just stack my classes mm-hmm. uh, on those days, and uh, hopefully I can uh, you know, just be here maybe two to three days a week and then spend the rest of the time in Greensboro. At uh, at our new home, are you gonna have a studio there as well, or? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes, I have a lovely studio at Duke, and I still I'll still be able to use that studio and right. work there uh, because it's you know it's a nice studio space, and you know if I close the blinds, it's private. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but I will have a space uh, in in my new home also.
0: So Greensboro is where you grew up. And did you yes. move away at eighteen and
1: ran you away. ran away,
0: and have you lived there since then?
1: I have not wow, and in fact, uh you know, I sort of have a what I would call in my head a love hate relationship with Greensboro. Uh, I grew up there and in you know as bus k through twelve across town to white schools from a housing project, mm-hmm. the east side of Greensboro. And 1979, the KKK came and shot and killed five people right out in front of our housing project, which my mother witnessed uh, and had to testify against the KKK. So we've been sort of like, you know, unsettled with Greensboro. I mean, it's a lot more conservative than Durham. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that always makes me nervous because what that means. And it's segregated. Right. Uh, but I bought a house in Starmount Forest, which is a neighborhood where my mother used to clean houses. Yeah, so I'm moving
0: in. With the, the current show we have at, at 21C, we're lucky enough to have three of your paintings. And you talked it during the opening, and you mentioned that uh, KKK shooting. And it's, it's it's one of those things. I, live, I grew up in Goldsboro, about oh. two or three hours away. And I was too young to know about that but that experience for some reason that that happening has always kind of been something that i I think about periodically like it seems distant for me mm. but for, to be right there when that happens it i i can't even imagine and you know we like to think that uh that sort of thing hopefully is in our past but then we see things that makes us wonder about that I I just can't imagine what that would be I mean how is that like personally to be there when something like that happens
1: well for one thing I was I was actually working uh, I was 16 or 17 years old and I was actually working at uh, McDonald's across town Mm -hmm. uh, close to the school where uh, Grimsley close to Grimsley where I went to high school And it was my mother and my cousin Sharon and Renee who were actually in our apartment uh, and my mother who witnessed the whole thing outside the kitchen window. And we had a green pinto uh, that uh, was shot. One of the bullets that was uh, shot by the KKK entered the back part of the pinto very close to the gas tank. I'm surprised it didn't, you know, just implode, but it didn't. Uh, And then once it got inside, uh, it uh, disappeared, it exploded, the bullet did. um, So we don't have it as a memorabilia.
0: (laughs) Well, like I said, it it seems, for, for me, it's always seemed sort of historical and distant. And to think about that happening right there, it's just so frightening. And
1: yeah. It Uh, is. It's one of the things that I'm concerned about moving back uh, with the current climate of our new president coming in. Sure. um, And, you know, there being active KKK members working hard to recruit and scare Mm -hmm. people and bully people. I think it could happen again.
0: You'd like to think not, but then uh, you see things that make you question the possibility of that. And a lot of times I think... um, People can feel insulated or, or away from those sorts of things. Um, but I currently live in Smithfield, North Carolina, uh, and uh, east of Raleigh. And uh, I kind of sometimes I have to remind myself and other people that until the late '80s, when you drove into Smithfield, there were these signs that said "Welcome to KKK Country." Whoa! And so it's not that, it's not that distant in the past that people were, I mean, obviously these things go on, but right. it's not that distant in the past where people were very outward, like, like, this is okay to be out there doing these things, and it's it's frightening. Yeah, it is. So, so growing up there in Greensboro, I know at the talk you, you mentioned uh, being very involved with the clown school. <laughs> what is that all about? How did you get into that?
1: Well, it started, I think, a sophomore in, uh, in high school, uh, Grimsley High School. They had a clown club. And my sister and I, my sister Ronnie and I joined the clown club and we dressed up. It was predominant because, you know, I was bused K through 12 to predominantly white schools. Mm-hmm. Um, so most of, the, most of the people in the clown club were white, except for me and my sister and we would dress up in whiteface and cover every inch of our body um, so that no one would know that we were black. And we would do things like visit hospitals or do the Christmas parade in Greensboro and all kinds of things we would do um, right. as clowns.
0: Now, now, when you were in high school, were you making art? Were you drawing? What-
1: I was not painting, but I was doing drawings. I did a whole drawing, uh, several drawings of my friends, and exhibited them in the, what they call the senior showcase, which was just a glass case in the hallway at Grimsley. That was your, that was your first show. <laughs> that was my first show. Yeah, yes. I, and it's just drawings,
0: right? So, so did you associate the doing the clown thing with the art thing? Was did it fulfill some similar need? Do you think?
1: Well, you know, I was more interested in being a clown. Yeah. And that was my first choice for a career, was to be a clown. My cousin, Sharon, used to always say, when people would ask me what I wanted to be, she she would say that I would say, I want to be a hobo. (laughs) And uh, I was like, don't tell people that. But apparently I said it. It sounds right. (laughs) Like the hobo style of clown? (laughs) Just a
0: hobo. Oh, that's cool, too.
1: (laughs) But a clown was probably the closest I could come to, you know, uh, making that a legitimate option. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So so much so that I even tried out for Ringling Brothers and Barnum & Bailey Circus that's the big um, leagues. Yep, when they came to Greensboro, the Coliseum, I went out there, and applied, and I just um, just didn't get accepted.
0: Yeah. When when that happens, did you feel like that well this is the end of that? Or did you was it like a quick separation or how did that work?
1: It was a pretty quick separation because the thing is with the tryouts I couldn't have my clown makeup on Mm -hmm. and or hide behind a disguise. Oh wow. And so therefore I was just me and I just wasn't able to be as open or as honest just being me. Um, as I was when I was dressed up in makeup. So, You're not just
0: dressed up in makeup. You refer to it as hiding. Is that the way you felt, like like there was a part of you that, that wasn't visible or you d- weren't free to be that unless you were covered up in, in this makeup and, and wigs and those sorts of things?
1: That's right. That's part of the history of Greensboro. I mean, growing up and being bused across town, you know, to predominantly white schools. And, yeah. you know, it was a shame to be from the projects, a shame to be on welfare, a shame that my mother was a domestic worker, all those things. Right. And so the liberation for me was to put on that clown outfit uh, where people were like, you know, less judgmental. I mean, either you love a clown or you hate a clown and the people <laughs> who hate clowns, they just basically stay away from them. Yeah. So, so there was sort of, you know, it was embraced in a way that I wasn't, you know, as a black girl from the projects. Right.
0: It's interesting thinking about it um, because your work now is is so revealing. It's so much about you and your family and and who you are that it's it's hard to kind of envision you not being open about that. I mean, I guess that's maybe a long process. Um, yeah. So. You left Greensboro um, to go to school? Yep. Then you went to Central, is I went that right?
1: to North Carolina Central University for undergraduate.
0: And did you think, did you know that you wanted to do painting or no. were you just kind of open to see what, well, I don't know what this is going to be?
1: Yeah. I was a psychology major okay. when I enrolled. And uh, in hindsight, looking back, I I really wanted to go to a place where there were progressive and intelligent and beautiful african-americans sure. because i had not seen that you know in the projects i had just seen black people who were doing drugs or you know doing other things that weren't legal um and then i was bused across town to these white middle class schools right middle upper class uh so it created a real division in my head about you know uh, white is right and black is not right or bad. so so going to North Carolina Central was really fabulous because you know I, I went there and the the professors were black and they were dressed so lovely and you know really articulate and just fabulous. And the men were gorgeous. So it was it was a really, really great growing experience to help me own my own blackness, uh, in a, in a sense of pride with that.
0: Sure. And so you, you said you started out in psychology, right? And how did you shift over to art?
1: Well, I had a really great teacher, uh, who I had taken a painting, uh, painting class as an elective. Mm -hmm. And, um, Elizabeth was her name. And she was like, you know, you, you're really good at this. And I was like, oh, I don't want to be an artist. You know, all artists are poor and been there, done that kind right. of thing. So uh, and she was like, well, you know, you could really, you know, not be poor. And I kept taking electives in painting. And, you know, then at the last minute, like the end of my sophomore year, I switched my major to painting and had to stay an extra year mm. in order to get that degree. But right. thrilled that I did.
0: Right, sure. So what did your paintings look like? What were they like at that point?
1: I painted myself in white face as a clown, mm. mostly. So That's you were what... still sort of in, <laughs>
0: internalizing and dealing with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, it changed my life. I mean, I enjoyed it, and then all of a sudden I couldn't find a venue to explore it and become better at it, being a clown. Right. So uh, so I used those images, and I painted them.
0: I mean, I guess it, it's sort of— uh, a common thing when we stop doing something, we don't necessarily uh, stop associating ourselves with that thing. Um, You know, it's still part of who, who we are at that point. Um, Yeah.
1: It might come up again. I mean, moving back to Greensboro, you know, I'm not uh, totally against putting on white face or black face again. It depends. I mean, you know, my father who is 90 years old, who has been a taxi cab driver all of his life in Greensboro has a very very different different perspective on moving to this white neighborhood. Right. Uh so he's he's afraid that he's like let's keep let's just keep my house just in case they make us leave the neighborhood. Wow. And I keep saying, "Oh, well, they're not going to make us leave the neighborhood." <laughs> right. We might make them leave the neighborhood, but <laughs> We're not going nowhere. Right. So, but he's, uh, you know, he's like, well, we'll just keep the house just in case. And I said, okay. You know, yeah. because his perspective is different. You mm-hmm. know, even now when I bring my white friends around him, he drops his head. He doesn't make eye contact with them. And he's very much that young boy who grew up in the South where, you know, uh, he had to be afraid of white people. Right. So he still carries that with him today. So who knows? I might turn white. I don't know. Or I might <laughs> turn extra black. I'm not sure.
0: What's funny is, and we'll get, or maybe we can get to it right now. When, when the work at 21C, the, you're in one of the paintings, and in, but in all three of them is this doll, this right. sort of little African-American doll that your friend uh, Kim gave you. Yes, and I I have to say the only reason we really invited you was hoping that Kim would come, but
1: that didn't happen. <laughs> I knew it.
0: So, uh, but but so, and when you talked about that, the way you sort of talked about, well, maybe I'll put on whiteface. The way you talked about that is you're 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 very um, you seem to be very sort of intuitive. Like you yeah. you talked about, well, I started putting this in my paintings, and I I didn't even know why at the time. Right. That's really hard to do. I mean, it's so easy, particularly when you're asked about your work, like you you're asked about your work. You talk about your work. It's it's easy to want to have those answers. Right. And but we don't as artists. We don't. We often make decisions that are that are intuitive, that are I'm going to just do this. Right. Talk about that. How you sort of make those decisions to, to I well I feel like I need to do that. I'm going to do that.
1: Well, um, it's pretty much about the way I live my life too. Um, I mean, this move to, I mean, I have a lovely home here in Durham, which, you know, I've been there for 10 years and I still love this house. I mean, I'm like, I love this house. Why? (laughs) And, you know, it's a, it's a smaller house. I mean, it's a, the house I'm moving into is a little smaller than this house. And, you know, so I am, you know, a part of me is like, what What am I doing? Yeah. How come I just can make that 90-year-old man move down to Durham, you know? Yeah. And um, am I going too far? And so, but intuitively, uh, I started this journey, and I was like, you know, I'm just going to keep walking and see what happens. And, you know, before I knew it, you know, I called the bank, and they were like, Sure. We'll give you money. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) And and then, you know, I was looking at houses and neighborhoods in Greensboro. And I was like, oh, you know, I don't know. And, you know, my dad said, I don't want to live next to hoodlums. So I was like, okay. (laughs) 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 But he didn't really mean white people for sure. Somewhere (laughs) in the middle, which I don't even know what that is, uh, (laughs) where that middle is, uh, especially in Greensboro. And I found this little bungalow house um, that just happened to be, you know, around the corner from Friendly Shopping Center, which I love because they have great shops there. They really do. Yeah. So, you know, in great places to eat and it's convenient. And um, so I was like, oh, my God, I really I like this little house. Uh, And before I saw it online and my cousin Said we'll go over and look at it, and they went over and looked at it the next day. And he said, "This is your house." Wow! So I was like, "Well, okay." <laughs> and I went to see it, and I was like, "It is my house." Right. Um, and then things just fell into place. Um, and you know, a month later, I'm moving. Yeah. So my my painting process is much like how I walk through this world, um, where I rely heavily on my intuition. Um, for guidance and, you know, to make the right decisions. Uh, when I'm in the studio painting, you know, I have a very loud voice that talks to me, and I have a dialogue with the painting mm-hmm. that says, you know, I need you to paint this, you know, from the subject that I'm going to choose to paint all the way to the what colors I'm going to put down to oh, make it thick here. Mm-hmm. I can hear my subject's breathing um, I mean, that's how in tune I am to um, this process. This very, what I would consider a very intimate process sure. of working. So, and I just trust it. And every time I deviate from that, I fail. Right. So I just stop deviating.
0: That's good, <laughs> right? I mean, that—that's. Uh I think that's a, I think that's a thing that a lot of people deal with, you know. You you have this internal voice that you sometimes ignore, uh, that over time you begin to realize, you know that that voice might actually know what they're talking about.
1: Right, right. It's smarter than I am for sure.
0: Right. Sure. And so uh, when I think of your work, I think of um, you know I th- I think of paint. You know yeah. I I um. I think of the material, the sort of um, investing in that material, the way you move it around. Um, Did that sort of start from the first moment you picked up paint? Did you feel an association with the material or did that kind of change over time?
1: It started from the very first time. One of the questions I always get as a professor is, I want to find my style. Where's my style? Like I want to you know, my paint application. And I said, it's it's already there. You just do it. Yeah. Um, and students really wanna know if they're gonna be expressionist or, you know, smooth painters or whatever. And I say, you just do it. Yeah. Um, and that's, a, the painting has always been creamy and rich. Um, you know, I talk to my students about it like icing on a cake, mm-hmm. um, which I like that reference. The cake, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like or it ice too. cream, <laughs> you know, so luscious that you can lick it. Right, uh, and I it looks like those. that. I mean, it has that
0: yeah. that uh, feel to it.
1: Thank you, Jeff. not that
0: I would touch the surface of one, but I, I, I
1: know you have. I probably, I, know you
0: I, I like, I like to touch the paintings. I can't help myself. <laughs> so you, you've talked about. Um, you learning about your teacher sort of encouraging you and obviously for quite a long time you've been a a teacher yourself what is that like I mean for me I went to graduate school and I had I'd come from the world of being in museums and I always sort of envisioned that I would go back to that I never I think teaching is awesome and and the little bit I've been around it I, I would I think I would enjoy it but I never sort of went in that direction. But did you feel like that that's something you wanted to do once you got into this world of, of making artwork or uh, how did you transition into that?
1: Well, it, it, for years, I, you know, like every artist, I wanted to just make my art, and sure. make enough money uh, to live off of. But we all know that specifically because i am you know high maintenance i'm not interested in being poor or make trying to make ends meet so i have to always have a day job Mm -hmm. (laughs) because of that yeah (laughs) (laughs) because of my lovely taste in everything Mm -hmm. uh and i've been really fortunate uh in terms of teaching i've been teaching about maybe 25 years now uh god i'm getting old um (laughs) And I started off uh, teaching. My first job was at my alma mater at North Carolina Central, where I was adjunct uh, and poor. Uh, And then from there, I went to Arizona State University, where I taught there for 12 years Mm. and had the opportunity to work with middle-class white people, mostly, uh, who who wanted to be artists. You know, they were going to graduate school and mm-hmm. they were going to be painters for sure. Right. So, so that was really, really lovely because you get to really make a mark. Uh, it's like having babies. I don't have children of my own except yeah. for my lovely kitties. Um, but you know, like uh, Damien Stomer was one of my students at Arizona State. That's
0: a good, good artist.
1: He's fantastic. Yeah, he is so fantastic. I am, you know, I think I think he's like my kid, and I keep thinking, you're not only are you a great painter, but you're so cute, <laughs> and I'm so proud of him for you know just going out there. Uh, so that twelve years of making artists was really, really, very, very important to me, and then I returned back to Central for seven years, where I was able to give back to um, my community sure. and support African. Because all my teachers, at, you know, my, my painting teachers at Central happen to be white. Mm. So, but I was able to go back there and make some really, you know, Lamar Whitby is a, one of my students that was at Central who was my painting student for many years and now is about to graduate from UNC Chapel Hill with his Master's in Painting in May. And I know
0: he talks very highly of you. Oh,
1: God, I love him, too.
0: Yeah, he's he's great.
1: He's fantastic. So to see your mark in that kind of way is just so validating and so fabulous. Um, And so even now uh, I'm at Duke, and I'm not making uh, artists right now. Uh, you know, my students are not graduating as art majors and, you know, becoming or having the desire to become, to go to graduate school and become painters. Yeah. Uh, but they are graduating in the sciences and, you know, becoming going to pre-med and they're going to, they're going to be doctors and, you know, they're going to be marketing and all of these great things. And and I know that when they go into a museum and look at a painting, there's no way that they're ever going to say again, I can do that. That's easy. Because they've <laughs> right. had the experience of what it means to paint. And they're going to be on a board uh, or give back to, you know, a museum or, you know, perhaps even Duke. In the arts, yeah, uh, because they recognize the value of it. Oh, yeah. So, so I, I mean, I've been really fortunate to have that sort of gamut of, yeah. of giving, uh, promoting students in that way, which is pretty fulfilling.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. When when uh, when I first got out of uh, undergrad, I worked at Duke at the museum, and I worked there for eight years, uh, and we would have interns, and some of them would be. Art students and I would say, "Wow, you're an art student, or is that your major?" And they would say, "No, but I, <laughs> I really love it." And and I, there is a real value in learning about these things and and seeing how they're done. I I can think of as a student myself. The first time I went to a museum and looked at artwork after i had started making artwork you know yeah. you you have a different appreciation of well this guy he's right. doing some things that <laughs> i wouldn't have really comprehended before and to have those people out in the world hopefully you know engaging in helping the arts is, is pretty cool
1: yes 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 i think it's going to be invaluable for sure So
0: I know uh, several years ago you uh, showed at the National Portrait Gallery. Is that correct? Yes. That's pretty cool.
1: That is very cool. In fact, they just recently contacted me. They want to purchase the Bill T. Jones painting for their permanent collection.
0: That's awesome.
1: I know. I'm thrilled. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're
0: nationally, by the great government that we live under, recognized. <laughs> That's
1: right. <laughs> At least this year.
0: <laughs> hey, man, you better get that painting in there real <laughs> no quick. No
1: joke. <laughs> Cash the check before January 20th.
0: Oh, man. <laughs> Speaking of dates, your birthday's coming up. Is that right?
1: Ooh, yes. Happy birthday. On Wednesday. Thank you. Say
0: happy birthday, Warren.
1: Happy birthday, Beverly! Thank you, thank you. This is probably the most celebratory uh, that I'll be, you know, this week because uh, Wednesday uh, the movers are coming tomorrow, and then they unload in Greensboro on Tuesday. So my guess is on Wednesday
0: you'll be pretty busy.
1: I'll be asleep some in you know one of my beds trying to recover. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, enjoy today. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Beverly, we're going to take a quick break.
1: Okay, sure. (laughs) Are you tired of using those trendy dry erase
0: boards? We thought so. Maybe it's time to reacquaint yourself with chalk. It's not just for outlining dead bodies anymore. You can write words or even
1: sentences... You can draw pie charts or pie equations, even pie recipes, oh, and you could take it a step further, too.
0: You can draw pictures of your freshly baked pies. Chalk. That's right, chalk. Ever try to draw on a sidewalk with a dry erase marker? It doesn't work. Hey, dry erase markers, it's chalk calling. Hey, everybody, let's get out there and look at some art. First, we're going to start out with uh, a show at Lump called Anywhere But Here. It's the last exhibition under Bill Thielen's directorship, and it's on view through January 20th. You can find their website at teamlump.org. There's a lot of artists you may be familiar with, like Martha Klippinger, Carrie Alter, and Harrison Haynes. I have work in there, done collaboratively alongside Megan Sullivan. Check it out. You should also check out the Green Hill Winter Show in Greensboro, North Carolina. That's on view through January 13th. There are 120 artists from across North Carolina, and it includes 500 works in all sorts of mediums. You can find out about the show at GreenHillNC.org. Welcome back. We continue now with Beverly McKeever. So uh, when I first got the job at 21C, mm-hmm. they... Um, sent me to uh, Louisville to meet everyone and to go through storage and all these things. And the actual first thing I saw when I went into storage was a crate with the name Beverly McKeever on it. And I was like, well, this makes (laughs) me feel like I made the right decision. Wow. Uh, So that was, uh, that's just an aside, but it uh, was very cool.
1: That must be the portrait of my father. I think it uh, is. Yeah. That Laura Lee still has hanging in her office. Mm Mm-hmm. Alice has tried to get her to travel it and she's like
0: no. Right. So the the ones that that are currently in the show at 21C I think they were about to install them and Alice begged
1: No, they did. They did. They oh. were in, they were in Laurie's office. Oh, Cuz wow. Larlie sent me a picture of them in the office. Oh wow. And so Alice <laughs> uh pried them away. I don't know how she did it.
0: She's uh she's a smart she's one. She's a
1: magic, yeah. Yeah. That 21C pajama party at in um our Basil was the bomb.
0: Yeah, they I don't get to go to things like that, you but don't? it seems fun from a distance.
1: It was the bomb. You know, I went to look for pajamas. I was like, you know, wow. They got cute pajamas where you can be cute. Yeah. Or you can be ho. There's okay.
0: no in between is that what you're saying?
1: There's no The only thing that's in between is like Ralph Lauren plaid. Mm. Mm-hmm who wants to be there nah
0: I, right? yeah. I
1: mean cute or hoe is better than plaid <laughs> yes so i was cute for just a half second i tried on this cute thing it was too hot and then i was like how often you get to go out in public and be a hoe i do it every day i know not everyone. A lot of, <laughs> that's true so i was a hoe it was fantastic
0: yeah, I, it looked like uh, a fun time, the pictures oh I saw. Oh my
1: God, it was so fabulous.
0: The the first thing I thought when they announced that they're going to open one in Miami is like, I can finally go to Art Basel. And then I thought, that's probably the exact time I can't go down there because they're going to be packed full of people going to Art Basel.
1: You've got to go. So
0: I would like to go. I've never been before, but that's my, my hope and oh dream. Oh my God,
1: you got to go. Yeah.
0: I know you've had a long connection with Craven Allen in Durham. I think it's awesome that you have these, uh, obviously these big New York shows and other places, and then you also show in Durham, so we get to enjoy them here locally. Talk about that a little bit.
1: Well, first of all, I, I love John Blowdorn, um, <laughs> the 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 owner of uh, Craven Allen. I love Keith too. Uh, but I have most of my contact with John, and he has always been such a huge supporter of my artwork. I can remember 30 years ago when I was selling my work for $500 and stuff, and I needed to have things framed. And I would go to the go to the frame shop, and yeah. they would barter with me. So they have, like, you know, little still lives and... Uh, a big tomato painting that I bartered with them when I was just starting out yeah. uh, with painting. I always say to people, John is the only person that can, I can hear him talking about my artwork and he, he makes me want to buy my own work. <laughs> he makes me want to give him money for my paintings because he's so passionate about it. Yeah. And there's so much love and, you know, vision there that it ju- it's just incredible. So I'm very, very fortunate uh, to have him in my life uh, and to have him love my work and show it and sell it and pay on time.
0: That's, those things are important. <laughs> pay
1: in advance. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's fabulous. And, and
0: they're uh, beautiful framers. Uh, they Absolutely. do tremendous work.
1: Yeah, they frame all my paintings.
0: So So recently you had a show shows almost sort of simultaneously in Durham and in New York. I guess one was first, right? but they were from the same series. If I'm not mistaken, the series that is at 21C with the doll, You, how do you think about that when you're making it? When you're working on that series, are you thinking about like, oh, this is going to go in Durham and this is going to go in New York, or are you just making the work and then figuring it out after?
1: I'm just making the work. And really I don't decide which goes in which shows. Uh, John and Betty uh, both decide so you know John comes to the studio and you know what he might gravitate to and say oh that's beautiful that's great Uh, might be a painting that I'm saying what are you sure I I don't know it doesn't look that good and uh, so he decides what that show is going to look like Mm -hmm. he curates that entire thing and he did pretty well with selling several paintings uh, Mm -hmm. out of that show so when uh, the show at Betty Cunningham, Betty Cunningham Gallery in New York happened uh, earlier this fall. I had to make new paintings. Right. You know, so I was hustling. This has been a really, really tough year of making a lot of work. Because generally those shows, like I bet, I think there were like 25 paintings at Craven Allen and there were about 30 That's at a Betty. a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and just not that much overlay, right? You know, so so it's been uh, it's been exhausting. So
0: how do you sort of try to to plan those out or schedule them? I guess part of it, of course, is when when the gallery wants wants to do their things, but how do you keep from from getting overextended in that way?
1: Uh, I did not a good job of getting. <laughs> I guess <laughs> the point is happen. maybe you're not good at that. <laughs> <laughs> I failed at that this year. But I have a lovely assistant, <laughs> Libby, who really helps me and keeps me on track and, yeah. you know, try not to overcommit and learn to say no. Yeah, Even if it's, you know, there are no bad opportunities right now, so right. it's challenging. But this, uh, right after Christmas, December 28th, I just received a residency at uh, at Yado. Uh, which is an artist colony in Saratoga Springs, New York. Yeah. And it'll be snowing there. I was going to drive and throw my stuff in the back of the car and mm-hmm. drive up there. And then Libby was like, you don't even like to drive an hour away. <laughs> that That's like 14 hours. Have you lost your mind? So, so now I bought a plane ticket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm going to ship my stuff. And I'll be there. Uh, until school starts, like right around the 13th of wow. uh, January. And I'm hoping that it'll be a great opportunity for me to replenish and, you know, refocus and figure out, uh, hear that inner voice.
0: Do you have an idea of what that work is going to look like, or are you just going to go up there and see what happens?
1: No expectations. I'm just going to go there and, and see what happens. I might do nothing. Which I, you know, have the right to do. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Might recuperate, but uh, I'm hoping you know it's a new studio space. It's a live work space. It's about 900 square feet. That's and, awesome. Um, yeah. So and you just walk over to the mansion to eat, and so they take care of you. And I'm really, really looking forward to being taken care of. Sure.
0: So like when when you have the the work to good size shows going on pretty soon. Are you a deadline driven person or or are you able to just get up and and make work all the time, even without this sort of thing looming out there? How does that work?
1: Well, I'm not deadline driven. That actually is, makes me even, it's very counterproductive for me. I don't, I mean, it'll stop me and make me not work at all if I have a deadline. Yeah. So, but the, the key for me is, is that, Uh, I'm fortunate to always have ideas because I paint from my lived experiences and I seem to have a lot of lived experiences. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Sort of, you know, percolating in my brain. So the problem for me is, you know, my wanting to paint this instead of, you know, sticking to the script of painting something so that I can have a cohesive show. Right. You know, or painting something. Like I'm dying to... Paint, no pun intended, my cousin Sharon uh in her last days uh in the bed, dying wow. and her eventual death, and her right before they sent her into the to be cremated uh wow. but nobody wants to nobody wants to buy those kind of paintings, so that might be something that I'll work on when I get to Yato. right, you know
0: yeah, I um. I think I can never get myself motivated unless I have a deadline. But I know you have a wow. very sort of, um, you keep a pretty strict schedule of like what you yeah. do every day, which is fantastic. Um, yeah.
1: That's my yeah, like goal and
0: dream to yeah. be able to do those, <laughs> to be like that.
1: You need a Libby. I do. She'll keep you straight. Will
0: she do it for free? no no she won't
1: (laughs) no I'm thinking she's gonna ask me for a raise soon (laughs) don't do it Libby don't do
0: it don't do it Libby
1: come on yeah I have a show coming up in uh, at the uh, at SICA oh wow in Winston-Salem January 17 yeah so that's uh, that's what I'm working on now right uh, is getting getting that work done what
0: does that show look like
1: it's more family oriented. Uh, again, it's going to have uh, you know some images of my dad. My dad will likely be there. Paintings of my sister Renee um, and some of the dolls. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It's not a big show, so um, so that's that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, uh, will Wait. be that show. Oh, and a couple of uh, paintings of um, one of my students that I painted from North Carolina Central, oh, that's Timothy. Cool. Yeah, a portrait that I did of him. Yeah. Uh, will be there also.
0: How how close do you have to be to somebody for them to find their way into your work?
1: Well, you know, it's really not that you don't have to be close to me at all. So, I could can can you make a painting of me, please? Sure. <laughs> you know, I usually uh I mean, I've painted a student at Duke, mm-hmm. Sylvia, because I just thought that she, if I meet somebody and they, and they seem to possess something that I identify as a part of me, right, or a part of me that I would like to grow, mm-hmm. um, then I will paint them. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's that easy.
0: And so tell tell us the dates again of the Sika show.
1: It opens the uh, the reception is January seventeenth, twenty seventeen. And I think it's up for a month through Very February nice. or something like that.
0: And is this involving that uh, that Cora Fisher over there?
1: That's correct.
0: We're fans of Cora Fisher, Cora right, Fisher. Warren? She's doing yeah. cool things over there. She is. Yeah. She
1: is. So, yeah, she's she's in charge. And, um, and it's, um, it's going to be there. I think it's going to be lovely.
0: Cool. We're going to go see it. Can we Can we bust up in there and be loud and annoying?
1: Absolutely.
0: All right. Are there other shows on the horizon, things coming up that we should know about?
1: Yes. I just got a letter a couple of days ago from the uh, American Academy of Arts and Letters in New York City. And I'll be uh, exhibiting six paintings there in April of 2017. Yes. And the cool thing is, is that they actually give... Prizes away! Ooh, I like monetary prizes. prizes. Yeah, I like those
0: even better than other kinds of prizes.
1: Totally, <laughs> totally. So this is really cool. It's a lot of money, like ten grand. Wow! I mean, and I'm going to be showing. It'll be a group show, so there's some people in there, uh, like Fong Bui who uh, runs the Brooklyn Rail in New York City, and yeah. some other great people.
0: What's the sort of theme of the show?
1: that's a good question. Uh, I'm not really sure. I This just happened a couple of days ago when I was in the process of, right. I'm still in the process of moving. And I sort of flipped through my mails and there was this letter and I just opened it up. And, yeah. you know, I ran down my heel and I was, Libby was helping me pack up stuff. And I was like, Libby, the art world hasn't forgotten me. I'm loved, I'm loved, I'm loved. And she was like, what's wrong? What's happening? And I was like, I'm gonna have a show in New York very at the cool. American Academy of Arts and Letters. So, so yeah, I'm thrilled. Very, very <laughs> cool.
0: Well, thank you, Beverly. Thank you for joining us. We feel honored. Even Warren, who, as we've said many times, is is often mean and cranky, is very thankful that you've joined us
1: today. Is that true, Warren? From the bottom of my heart. From the bottom of his heart. I'm feeling it. I think it's true. (laughs) I I think think it's it's true. true. Yeah, I'm feeling some love coming over here. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you.
0: Here's a segment with Chris Vitiello. He's a local writer. Uh, He works at NC State in the library, and he also is uh, the Poetry Fox, which you may have seen out and about.
2: Is there anything that people need to get out there and see? Sika in uh, the Southeastern Center for Contemporary Art in uh, Winston-Salem is opening a show called Dispatches. And uh, actually Stacy Kirby has work in that show uh, along with a bunch of other people like Mel Chin, Chloe Bass, and George Shear, uh, one of the founders of Elsewhere George, right. uh, have work in that show as well, as well as uh, the Electronic Disturbance Theater has work in that too. These are artists that are uh, contemporary artists all responding to the news and contemporary events and uh, current events and just sort of contemporary political issues like ecology and the environment. Post 9-11 work, there's sort of uh, one of the thematic emphases is r- artists responding to 9-11 and the change in in the fabric of life after 9-11. So right. uh, I think it'll be a really timely show. I mean, we have all been consuming coverage of just uh, migration and border issues, which is another thematic emphasis at this show at SICA. I I think it's going to be a really wonderful way to kind of take our battered selves from the uh, election season into a space and really uh, see how contemporary artists have been uh, handling those those feelings that we've been handling ourselves. Very nice. Great. Thank you, Chris. Oh, sure.
0: Warren and I have been really overwhelmed by the positive support we've received for this podcast. Please continue to listen. Also, like us on Facebook and subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. Give us some positive feedback if you'd like. That always helps. And tell your friends to listen as well. Don't You Lie to Me is funded in part by the Visual Art Exchange's Lighter Fluid Award. If you aren't familiar with those fine people, you should check out their website for more information about their exhibitions, artist benefits, and special programming. Their website is
1: daerally.org.
0: We also want to thank, of course, Matt McMichaels for the use of his studio, Trusty Woods, his equipment, and his patience theme song was composed by our own Warren Hicks and the logo design was by Artsy Martha. Thank you for listening and please tell your friends to listen as well.